Our scripture reading this morning is taken from Acts 3, verses 1 through 12. That can be found on page 967 in the Pew Bibles. Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now as a lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us as though, be, as though by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Good morning. Y'all sleepy this morning. Good morning. There we go. There we go. The late service should be more, you should be more awake and vibrant, right? Got to sleep a little later. I'm so thankful to be here this morning. Um, David, when we sang that, that song we just sang, you know, the first time I sang that song was at Future Preachers Training Camp, Pennington Bend, and I was just thinking about it. has been 30 years ago, first time I sang that song. That's probably too much information, isn't it? I'm really grateful to be here. I'm really grateful for the Church of Mount Juliet. Uh, it doesn't seem like we've been gone long, but it seems like we've been gone forever. Uh, God just used you in a special way to begin the process, to maintain the process of, of, of changing our family, of changing our mission, and changing our focus on how we serve God. And you're still doing that. I hope that when, when we're done this morning, you will see, you know, if there were a ledger book in heaven... I want to show you some of the things that will be on the positive side for you, things that you are involved in, that you're, that you're working on. Uh, you're probably wondering what RHC stands for. It's, it's actually a math formula. I had to bring a little bit of mathematics into this. It's a, it's a formula that I, that I kind of see in Acts chapter 3, those first 12 verses. You want to turn your Bibles there. We'll be pretty much staying in that text. I want to tell you a little bit about Hope Works. Before I do, right before we moved, we met, uh, I met a man whose name... Is John Rose. Now, my wife's name is Rose. My name is John. So I thought that really caught my eye. And he's married to Carolyn. It's Mary Lou Banta's daughter. And would you mind standing? I just want to let you meet. They're, they're in Memphis now. And isn't it strange how God works? Carolyn is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She actually worked for two classes at Hope Works, doing what I was doing as a counselor. And she went to another ministry, did a wonderful job there. The ministry had some, some economic problems and some other problems. So basically... 
at my ministry where I'm at now at HopeWorks, we've had a big financial crunch, a lot of stuff going on, and I had to go from being just a counselor to being a counselor and an interim executive director. And I don't know if you know what that means, but that means you do everything. Bookkeeping, everything. And so uh, this last, last three, four months has been really hard, but, but Carolyn came up and she said, can I, can I come work there? And so she's now taking the counseling responsibilities on so I can help the, the, some of the other gifts, which I don't really want to use, <laughs> but, but, you know, that for such a time as this verse, that still applies today. You all know that's not just a one-time event, that, that God still does that kind of stuff. Sometimes he gives us our skill set because 20 years from now, he's going to need us to use those in some, some perspective, uh, even if we don't want to. Sometimes I just go by blind obedience, and there's not much faith involved. This RHC, you're not going to forget this because, number one, you, don't have, you probably don't hear sermons by John F. Kennedy very often. So that's going to stick in your head for once. And usually they're kind of crazy whenever I get up and, and preach something. Number two, it's, you've got to do something with this, this formula at the end of this sermon. You're going to have to wrestle with it and do something with it because it's going to stick in your head like a bad song. Okay. Now, there's two qualifications you have to have to hear this. Number one, you have to be able to count to six. So everybody count with me. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right. There you pass part A. Part B, you have to want to take Jesus to people. You have to want to share Jesus with other people. If you, do, if you want to do that, just raise your hand. You get a good idea. All right. Well, looks like most everybody in here is going to have to deal with this, and you're qualified. Now, that's good news for me. It's good news for you, because at the end, you can't wiggle out of it. We just, we just got a contract here. Let's talk about this. If, it's, if this is a math problem, and we're talking about Bible, what's, what is the problem? Let's define the problem. Well, let, me, let me kind of explain it to you a little bit in terms of Memphis, and it's hard for me to tell you what I need to tell you in, in a short amount of time, so let me just give you some numbers and and let you think about them for a second. This comes from a study that was done specifically for the city of Memphis. Um, next slide shows, next several slides shows some, some very sobering statistics. I used to think that Memphis was different from Mount Juliet. And what I've realized is that Mount Juliet is different than Memphis. In fact, where we live is different from about 80% of the world. I just didn't get that. I still don't get it all the way. But after moving to Memphis, I understand it. Now, Andrew's going to beat me up if I start saying bad things about Memphis because he's from Memphis, Germantown. And, and there are areas which are really nice areas. And, and Memphis is a great city. But the part of Memphis I work in is the inner city, inner city Memphis. There's a million people in Shelby County. Most of your 10 care dollars go out through Memphis, through Shelby County. It's a very poor economic uh, city. 64, 64% of all births in Memphis... 64% of the babies born in Memphis are born to unwed mothers. This is the highest rate in the nation. Almost seven out of every ten babies are born to a, to a mom who's not married. Black children are twice as likely to live with a single parent as are white children in Memphis. For children under, under five who live with a single mom, almost six out of ten of those live in below the poverty level. Sixty percent. Let that soak in a minute. Imagine if I lined up all the children in our room in this congregation that were under five years old and live with single moms. And we took every every time we got to number six, we just took that group and put them on poverty level. And only four would have what they need to be at poverty level, which is pitifully low anyway. 
In Memphis, white single mothers earn twice the income of black single mothers. You see a difference here? 51% of the children in Memphis live in neighborhoods of concentrated poverty. Statewide, only 19% of children live in a, in, a, in a project area, in a concentrated poverty area. Memphis, it's, it's more than half. 39% of children live in a home with married parents. In Mount Juliet or anywhere else in Tennessee, pretty much, that's 75%. Just the benefit of having a, a mom and dad who married. Only 39% of children in Memphis, Shelby County area can, can claim that. I don't know how that hits you, but it hits me pretty hard. The rate of sexually transmitted disease in Memphis is twice that for Tennessee. One out of every four pregnancies in Memphis ends in an abortion. One out of every four women who gets pregnant in Memphis has an abortion. Nearly a thousand children are abused and or neglected every month in Shelby County. And this one just really breaks my heart. The infant death rate in Memphis is the highest in the United States. Did you know we were famous for having the highest infant death rate in the United States? 300 miles, 200 and some miles away. I had no clue, y'all. All I knew about Memphis is that's where Elvis's place was at. And I haven't seen him either. So. That's, that's the problem. You know, the real problem, though, is what? People need Jesus. I didn't, I didn't share this with the first service, but I, I want to share this with you. I don't know how you see those statistics and what you see from those. But this is something Dr. Eric Scalise shared with me that I think describes this very well. You know, how we look at things, how we see things, is everything. The world saw only that Jesus was eating with tax collectors and sinners, but Jesus saw people in need of the great physician. The world saw only a blind beggar named Bartimaeus shouting above the crowd, disturbing those around him, but Jesus saw a man who was reaching out in faith who needed mercy. The world saw only a group of children annoying the master. Jesus saw their innocent trust and a kingdom that belonged to such as these. The world saw just a crooked tax collector named Zacchaeus becoming rich through the suffering of others. But Jesus saw a man ready to be broken through an act of repentance. The world saw only the crowds pressing in on him from all sides. But Jesus sensed the touch of his garment by a trembling woman. The world saw only five loaves, two fishes to feed so many. But Jesus saw a great multitude hungry and in need of compassion. The world saw only a woman caught in the very act of adultery who deserved to be stoned. And Jesus saw somebody's daughter who needed forgiveness. The world saw just a robber, a common thief crucified beside him, but Jesus saw a lost soul worth dying for. You know, the world sees only a man dying with AIDS, and they whisper, he probably deserved it. Jesus sees someone who is alone and who's afraid of dying. The world sees just an alcoholic who's lost and groping in darkness, but Jesus sees somebody's life who can be restored through grace. The world sees... Only the Christian leader who stumbled badly and fallen before the eyes of so many, but Jesus sees someone who's worthy of grace and help in time of need. The world sees only the prostitute who's standing on the corner. Jesus sees a little girl who was sexually abused and who's just desperate for her father's love. 
The world sees a rebellious teenager wanting to end his life. Jesus sees somebody who's never been accepted. Starving for approval. The world sees the color of someone's skin, and Jesus sees a vessel fearfully and wonderfully made, created in the image of Almighty God. The world sees only the woman who's always anxious and depressed, but Jesus sees a single mom who's just struggling to survive, needing the support and understanding of others. And finally, the world sees only the throwaways in prison, the crippled, the poor, the homeless, but Jesus sees precious souls who just haven't had an invitation to the banqueting table yet. It's all in the way we look at, at the problem. The problem is we all need Jesus. In, in Jeremiah, I don't know if you can see this or not, but God sent, the people in, God sent his people into exile, you know, because they were, they were idolatrous, yes. But, you know, the, one of the biggest reasons why God sent his people into exile because they stood on the neck of the, of the needy and the oppressed, and they said, fill my wine cup up. Get up and give me more wine. Clean my big cedar log house. And God, God sends them to Babylon, to an ungodly nation, to live for quite a while. And here's what he tells them to do. He says, I want you to go there. I want you to build houses, live in it, plant gardens, eat the produce, take wives, get your, raise children, get them husbands and wives, have grandchildren. Why? I want you to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray for the Lord on its behalf because in its welfare, you shall have your welfare. I don't, it's a strange thing to think that God might be working in the city of Memphis or the city of Mount Juliet outside the church. You hear me? It's a strange thing. I forget that sometimes. I forget that a man like Cornelius can be a seeker after God. And he maybe doesn't have all the... the Checkbox is correct, but because he's a seeker, God finds a way for him to find Jesus. It's hard to remember that. The problem is, people in Memphis need Jesus. Usually when I tell people that, my, my, my family thinks I'm crazy probably for moving there because you have to have iron bars on your doors. Nobody has a house without iron bars on it. <laughs> Here, nobody has them on their house almost, unless you live in inner city Nashville. Well, this is a math problem. Let's look at what's given. I'm terrible at word problems anyway. Let's look at the text and see what the givens are in this. Um, Peter and John go up to the temple at the hour of prayer, and this certain man from his mother's womb is being carried there who was laid at the daily at the gate of the temple to ask alms from those who enter. Now, in chapter 4, verse 22, you find out this guy's 40 years old. So how long has he been being brought to the temple? I'm guessing 40 years old. I like this verse. I like this one word in chapter uh, 3, verse 2. Whom they laid daily at the gate. Somebody got the message that I'm trying to share with you today. They got it because for 40 years they brought this man. I love this. The, the buddy Pickler showed a slide this morning. The guy in El Salvador who carried the paralyzed man every day. That He got it. He got the idea of service, of reaching out. Forty years this man laid outside the building out here at Mount Juliet. And everybody got to know him. They got to know what he smelled like, what he looked like. They would drop a dollar in every week and get ready for it. They might say hi to him. But I wonder how many people ever really stuck their hand out and reached down and shook his hand. And said, you know, I love you. And, and I'm here for you. And I'll tell you what, I'm going to bring you some supper back in a little bit. Or do something radical. 
Because obviously every day, the radical thing that they were doing was walking by and throwing money in there because that's what the guy was asking for. They thought that's what he needed. But Peter and John, in verse 3, in verse 4, Peter fixes his eyes on this guy with John, and then he shouts out, look at us. Now, let's get the picture here. You're driving up the interstate ramp, going to work, and there's the, the homeless man standing there with a sign. And what does it say? We'll work for food, right? Or hungry. God bless. And here's what we do. You've all been trained in this very well. You, you, you say a little prayer. God, please don't let the light turn red when I get up close there. Let me get through the light, right? If you happen to be caught there and you're the first or second car that's right by the guy, you definitely don't do what? You don't look at him, right, David? You, just do, you don't look at the guy because if you look at the guy, what's he going to do? He's going to get his hopes up. And he's going to come over to the car and then you're going to be embarrassed because now you've got to dig around and give him some change or you've got to deal with something. And the whole time you're going to be thinking, well, you know, he's just going to use this for drugs or alcohol. He's got a belly this big. He's obviously not missing any meals. And he's here every week. You know what I'm talking about? We already have it pegged what, what that guy needs. And what he's asking for. We, we think in terms of money. He's thinking in terms of money. What does Peter and John do? They don't offer him money. In fact, they said, we don't have any money. <laughs> but I'll give you what I have. Now, you know, we can't heal somebody and make them walk. But we can give them what we have. Right? Can we do that? What is that? That's where the formula comes in. RHC. The, the, the formula is, is relationship, hope, and change. Why don't you say that with me? Relationship, hope, and change. It also stands for something else. It stands for radical human contact. Say that with me. Radical human contact. What does that mean? It means to do something that the rest of the world doesn't do. Don't do the expected. You know, God, God can do what's extraordinary. He needs us to do what's ordinary. We can do what we can. We need God to do what we can't. What we can do is we can extend our hand out to somebody who cares. If you notice, Peter reaches out his right hand when he heals this man. Have you thought about in Matthew chapter 5 when Jesus is talking about adultery? If, you're, if you even look at a woman and, and think about it, you've already committed it. And if, hey, look, if your right eye offends you, pluck it out. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. What do I even say the left hand or left eye? Because to them, the right was the source of power. You know, the good guys on the right, sheep on the right, goats on the left. Reaching out your right hand to somebody who's unclean like that would have been a really nasty thing for a Jew to do. But not for Peter. Peter didn't see that man as a man who's unclean. He defined his problem in different terms. Let's look at the next slide there, uh, Jeff. The R, it stands for Relationship. Now, you're going to be able to remember this because everything you need is in Acts chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. So 3, 4, 5, and 6 goes right together. It's going to stick in your head. You're going to hate me when you're trying to sleep tonight. because You're going to be like, ah, oh, turn it off. Relationship. What did Peter and John give this man through relationship? They gave him a sense of worth. I mean, think about it. They stopped their busy schedule to take care of this man. In fact, most of the Jesus' miracles were an interruption to where he was on the way to, wasn't it? He's still going through the crowd. Everybody's pressing in. A woman reaches back there and, and interrupts him. Zacchaeus is up in a tree and Jesus is walking by and there's an interruption. Every time Jesus had a daytimer, a miracle came in and interrupted it. Isn't that amazing? 
Would I dare let Jesus interrupt my daytimer? Whew. That would be too hard. Uh, they gave him a sense of uh, belonging. Look what happens to him down uh, verse 11. Well, actually back verse 8. After he's healed, he's leaping up. Instead of laying around, he enters in the temple with him. He's coming in the church building now. He's got him and he's got people, like the commercial says. And in verse 11, I love this. The lame man is hanging on. He's hanging on to Peter and John. I would be too, man. I wouldn't let them go. They're my two new best friends. Now, it doesn't say anything about this man understanding that Jesus did all this. and I don't know what he did or didn't know. I do know this, that the next couple of chapters, God uses this to put Peter and John and lock them up, to have them beaten for preaching the word, to be able to pray for boldness, to be able to say, we're going to preach it out no matter what you say. You do what you got to do. We're going to do what we got to do. And it's just to show how the church grew because of what was done through this man. And I love what Peter says in verse 12. What are you looking at? You think it's me? Like we made this guy walk or something? People do this to me all the time. They'll, when they meet me, they find out, you know, I used to have a CPA business and I had a good job. And my wife had a good job, had a nice home, and you sold this and blah, blah, and all this stuff. I'm going, you know, you don't get it. They talk about sacrifice. That is not sacrifice. That's giving up a mortgage. It's giving up, a, 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 it's giving up stress on paying for a boat, two cars, mowing grass, landscaping, wallpaper, paint, blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. We, that's what we gave up. We just now, I don't even know if I understand what the word sacrifice, how I could even talk about it. Because it means giving up something that I want, that, that, that I will do without. What's neat about relationships, once you, once you start a relationship with somebody just by looking at them, something kind of happens that, that we can't explain. I can't explain it. It's where the age comes in. That's where hope comes in. This man had a, a false hope in that he was expecting to have some money. But look how God uses that hope to make it change and, and morph and grow into a real hope so that God can do the changing, which is going to be the seed. The next slide is a, a picture, a conglomeration of pictures I want to show you about hope works. I want to just tell you about a couple of these. I wish I could tell you more. I wish I could just tell you a lot, a lot more. The, uh, the man down here in the bottom left, some of you may know John French. Um, Lori Richards is here, I think. You know John French. John French is in the landscaping business, but no, John French is in the RHC business, actually. John goes to church every Sunday morning, coming to Sycamore View, and he sees Kenny, the man in the painting there, sitting out there selling papers on Sunday morning. And so he gives him $5 for a Sunday paper, $10 for a Sunday paper. After about three or four weeks, John says, hey, what, tell me your story. I want to know more about you. Sits and hangs out with him a little bit. Finds out, what's your spiritual life like? Well, I don't have much of one. Why not? Well, I can't go to church. I've got to sell my papers here. John said, well, if you had somebody to sell papers for you, would you go to church? Well, then I wouldn't make any money. He said, I'll tell you what, i got a plan. John goes and enlists the help of a dentist in town, who's the one who painted this picture. And John sits in, in the, Kenny's chair and sells papers for Kenny during worship time. And Tim Hacker, the dentist, comes and takes Kenny to worship at Sycamore View. That's radical, folks. That's radical. Kenny's not there yet, but Kenny's getting there. It's the only way Kenny will get there. He's not going to walk into our church buildings. The, the healthy people aren't coming into the hospitals for some reason. It's the sick people. And sometimes the ambulance has to go get them. And sometimes they have to be right there in the neighborhood with them. Antonio is the guy in the red shirt there. See the little old lady? That's Miss Verla Howard. She's 96, I believe. She is ready to go meet the Lord. She's got... 
cancer, but she is excited to go meet Jesus. And Antonio is a graduate of Hope Works. He is now our, our uh, student development coordinator. He's a, a three-time felon, I think. He's been shot twice. He was a drug dealer for 20 years, and he grew up in South Chicago. Antonio is the most wonderful man you will ever meet. Talking about changing somebody. God has changed that man. Changed his heart. His economic circumstances are a lot better, but, you know, he, he does things right now. The, the bottom picture on the right, uh, the guy on the right is Rodney. Rodney's a two-time felon. He's a recent graduate of HopeWorks. He's now a bus driver. Let me tell you what HopeWorks is because you probably, I, I get so, there's so much I want to tell you. It's a 13-week program where we invite people from prison who have just been released, uh, the homeless, welfare mothers, Anybody who wants to get back in the workforce and get a job and get some skills, mainly get some God esteem, not just self-esteem, but God esteem. For 13 weeks, we walk with them. We give them counseling, personal counseling, group counseling, English, math, spirituality, Bible study. Uh, you name it, we do it. We help them do job interviews. We find them an internship for six weeks to go out and work on a job site to get experience with an employer. And sometimes people even hire them. They figure out, you know what, just because they've got a felony conviction, they're still a, they're still a human being and a good worker. Rodney's one of those guys. Rodney got a job with Matta Plus, and the guy in the red suit there, this picture is wonderful because he comes to school one day and he picks up one of our students. So we've got a graduate coming and picking up one of our students. Lonnie was shot twice in the head, doesn't remember anything about it. He can't use his left or right side, his left side, I guess it is. But he, man, you're talking about preaching. He knows God. He know, he'll tell you about what God's done in his life. God's used that to change. And that's what the C is, stands for. The C in this is all for change. And that's God's part. We don't do that. We don't change people's lives at Hope Works. When people start bragging about Hope Works and Hope Works, I keep telling them it's not about me, not us. It's about this. Let me tell you about Mildred. One more story. Mildred, 29-year-old. She gave me permission to share this. It's in, it's in a magazine called Volunteer Voices. Mildred came to us. Mildred dropped out in the seventh grade. Of high, uh, from school. Mildred had to drop out of school because her, um, her mother said, I'm going out for diapers and milk, and I'll be back in a little while, and she, didn't, she never came back. Mildred had to raise her twin brother and sister, take care for her grandmother, uh, who was diabetic, her aunt, who was a paranoid schizophrenic, and two other children in the household. She said, I did the best I could. I had to stay home and take care of the younger siblings and take care of my grandmother. I had to learn how to wash and do clothes, do chores, and help my auntie take her medicine. After grandma died, she got some low-paying fast food type jobs. And one day she was going outside to take the trash out. And, you know, she's getting a little hope here. You see how she's working her way up? One day she takes out the trash and, and she was assaulted and she was raped. She wasn't just raped, but she also became pregnant because of that. Mildred was pretty sad about that. She, uh, she said, you know, I'm not keeping this baby. I'm just going to put it up for adoption. Didn't do any prenatal care. But the nurses who worked the shift when uh, her daughter was born didn't know that. They laid her baby on her lap. And what Mildred says is, is, is wonderful. She says, I knew that God wasn't going to give this baby away. From that moment on, I smiled. I knew I had an opportunity the child was going to make everything better and open up new doors. But the next day, Mildred found out she was HIV positive as a result of her rape. And she slid into a deep depression. Can you imagine what your, if your daughter had that happen to her, your wife, your granddaughter? Do you even know anybody who has HIV? 
I mean, I think we're so much removed from that. I was. This past week, we lost one of our Hope Works graduates who died. It's, it's sad in one way, but it's an honor in another way to, to think of the people that God brings through that we get to walk with and learn from. We learn a lot, I learn a lot more from them than they ever learned from me. Mildred's life changed while she was at Hope Works. Because she learned about forgiveness, Mildred forgave her mother and has been in contact with her. And her mother's still using drugs, but she's starting to come back and have a relationship with her. Mildred's doing such a wonderful job being a, a good daughter now. I can just tell you story after story after story. What I want you to remember is this, is that you have to deal with this formula now. See, because everybody has an obligation. Each one of us has an obligation to have a relationship, to make eye contact with another human being that will inspire hope with them, whether it's positive hope or false hope. It's a start. Hope is a seed that God will take and turn into change. Let's, let's summarize it here. Relationship, hope, and change from Acts chapter 3, verses 4, 5, and 6. This next slide, you've got to remember this. Relationship brings hope. Hope brings change. And all that is done through what? Radical human contact. It's what God asked us to do. It's what Jesus did when he was here. When he ate with somebody, he ate with the people that probably would have been sitting in Hope Works. Next slide. I know this is going to be really corny. <laughs> but if you say this with me, there's a little catch here. If you want to act, get it? If you want to act, if you want to act, three, four, five, six. So that's why I said you count to six, you can do this. If you want to act, three, four, five, six. The form is RHC, relationship, hope, and change through radical human contact. I'm sorry for the gimmick, but I know it'll stick with you because it stuck with me. Somebody kind of shared a little bit of this, and I thought, this is, I can't forget this now. I can remember Acts chapter 3, verses 4, 5, 6. I can remember reaching out and touching somebody. And try it out today at lunch. Try it out today at lunch. When you go out and lunch, shake your server's hand and tell them thank you versus just saying thank you. See if there's a difference. It's all in perspective. You know, I'm, my glasses are, uh, are my lifeline. I can, I can see, I know David's sitting up here. I don't know everybody else that's out here because I can't see you. Really, what we are, folks, and as Christians, we are optometrists for God. Aren't we in the business of helping people get their vision corrected so they can see Jesus? Some people are nearsighted. They can only see what's right there in front of them, the, the struggles and the stress of life. They can't see a hope for the future. Some people are farsighted. They're looking for the future, living for tomorrow, when right there there's a son or a daughter that needs your attention, Dad. There's a parent or grandparent that needs your care. Some people have astigmatism like me. You can't tell depth, so you, you step off and you think, well, my foot's there, and you find out it's two feet lower. You lose your balance. You run into things. Some people have cataracts. You've got something in your eye that's got to be taken off to be able to see. Some people are just blind. We don't see anything. And, and the saddest are the ones who are blindfolded. Where society, the system, their economic system, their parents, has put a blindfold on them, and they, they can't see Jesus because somebody's keeping them from that. Whatever it is, you know, the, the, the trick is being able to be able to see Jesus. Now, imagine me going to work. I'm in a hurry because I go every single day the same route. And it's, every time I pull out of the driveway, there's, there's a kid behind me on a skateboard. He comes across the same time I do, and I was like, oh, man, where's this guy's parents at? 
these parents need a good whipping. You know, when I was a kid, blah, 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 blah. You're driving down the road, you try to get over in traffic, and, it's, and the, you know, traffic's backed up, and you're fussing about it. I'm late for work. I'm not going to be able to get my cup of Starbucks. You finally make it over there. You pull it in your parking spot, and all of a sudden some woman whips in there, the princess of parking. Gee, thanks. You didn't even know I was there. Kind of mutter under your breath. Get in line. There's four people in front of you, and you just keep watching your watch. You know, 14.3 seconds later, you're standing there giving your order, and the guy says, it'll be a few minutes because we're busy. Oh, yeah, no problem. Oh. You sit down with your cup of, of uh, $3 coffee, and a, and a man walks up to you, gives you a case, and in it there are some glasses. You open them up, and you look up, and he's gone. So you, you take them out, and you, you put them on, and the guy's bringing, bringing your receipt back to you for the coffee. And all of a sudden, you see a label on him, and it says, struggling with an addiction. You take them off, like, what's wrong with this? And you, you start looking, and you see, you see a lady over there sitting, and she's by herself, going through a divorce. You get outside, you think, I can't, i got to get out and get some fresh air, and you bump into a big truck driver. Hey, buddy. And he's, he's silent on him, says, need a hug. You turn around to run, there's a mom with one kid on her hand, one on her hip. Single mom, struggling to make this much rent payment. You get in your car, you start out, and there's a little girl, 13 years old, sitting by the fence, and it says, ran away from home three days ago. You get back out of the parking lot, and there's the princess of parking. Her sign says, grieving the loss of a friend. Finally, you make it home. There's that little boy on the skateboard again, and you look at him, and it says, I just need somebody who cares. Do you get it? Do you get it? Looking at people through the eyes of Jesus takes time with the, with the master optometrist, something we probably don't do enough of. I don't know what you do with this this morning, but I know you've got to do something with it. You may fuss, well, that preacher preaches too long, and he does. I'm sorry. It's hard for me to, to tell you what I want to tell you. It's so hard. I want you to do something with this sermon, though. If nothing else, say a prayer of thanks to God for, for the people that we get the honor of walking with at Hope Works, the people that you serve because of your donations, your prayers, your support, because of your sermons, David, and why I even thought about going there. I had no inclination of working with the inner city poor ever. And God has a sense of humor. He'll put you where you least expect it. Whatever you do with that sermon, start with yourself this morning. Start with yourself. Give yourself an eye check. Say, how do I see Jesus? And am I helping other people see Jesus? If you can't, if you can't see it all, put him on in baptism. and watch your, watch your vision grow. Watch your eyes open up. Whatever your need is this morning, we'll uh, invite you.